Good morning, everyone. The Bible reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and starting at verse 19, it will be on the screen behind me, but if you've got your Bibles with you, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Friends, uh, together in promoting the gospel. Now, Nathan Campbell is an Australian pastor, and he came up with this expression. He says, evangelism in a sceptical world is a team game. That's not unusual, because it's not a new thing. It's a biblical thing, isn't it? When the Apostle Paul, for example, traveled on mission, he did it with a team. Sometimes you think the Apostle Paul did it all alone, don't you? And then you realize people he traveled with. Then you realize people he partnered with. Then he writes letters to people uh, in various churches. And he says, can you say thank you to so-and-so and so-and-so and and greetings to, to Priscilla and Aquila and everyone else? And you realize he wasn't a lone evangelist. Sometimes we think there's one person who does the work of evangelism. You know, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 to 10, Paul says, you know how we lived among you. They came, they lived, they preached, they taught, uh, and they encouraged people. So when we run Christianity Explained here or an Alpha course, we do it as a team. We have a number of people. Some do more uh, the, uh, the dinner or the, the supper, and uh, uh, some will organize the coffee. Others will get alongside and run a small group. Uh, others will just engage with people and love people. Some will do the presentations. We do it as a team. When we run youth ministry here, we do it as a team. On a Friday night, there are team members everywhere. Uh, As you can imagine, Lachlan, our youth pastor, does not run the ministry by himself for 100 teenagers on Friday night. That would be called irresponsible and crazy. It's a team of people who work alongside the young people, and he mentors them and he trains them and equips them, and they do the gospel together to see young people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. When we run playtime, we do it as a team, multiple Christian uh, members who are working together so they can encourage one another but also reach out to others. Even when uh, we have people go into schools and the SRE classes, now they do go into a class by themselves, but there's something special about walking into a school with some other teachers. And you know they're going to that classroom and you're going to that classroom and someone else is going to the other classroom. You pray, you walk in together, trusting that God would work. Now Jesus sent the disciples out as a team. Jesus came to them and said, this is to his disciples, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
not only do we go out as a team to do the work, to make disciples, but most importantly, who is with us? I am always with you to the very end of the age, says Jesus. So we don't just go as Christians, but we go with Christ, we go filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's why the Bible says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We go in the power of God, and there's this sense in which every day alone and yet with others, we need to be conscious of the presence of the Holy Spirit and prayerfully looking for gospel opportunities. I don't know about you, but one of the most exciting things about life is looking for those opportunities to speak to someone about Jesus. And when you are with some others as well, there's two or three of you together, it's even more fun, right? And often more productive as well. So I want to give you six principles this morning, and in your home groups you'll explore a whole bunch of other things uh, even more this coming week. Number one, the Bible tells us to go and spend time with the lost. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. This is Jesus in Luke 15. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus was in trouble because he spent time with people who were far from God. It's a challenge to us, isn't it? Spend time with people who are far from God, who are simply in our community, who don't know and love Jesus, so we can engage with them, love them, and share truth with them. At the end of Jesus' meeting with the chief tax collector Zacchaeus in Luke 19, a radical transformation, transformation takes place in Zacchaeus' life. And Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Lost people don't get saved on normally until they come into contact with saved people who know Christ, who can share the love of Christ and help people to find their way back to God. And friends, we do it in our regular ministries here. And let me just remind you, many non-Christians are involved in our children's work, our youth work, our adult work, our school scripture, through our cross-cultural workers. And we've heard of some of that uh, with people back in their work. But there are suggestions, and maybe uh, if I ask you to, uh, to call out now, some of you are involved in all different types of places where you are going to people who are not yet Christians. I encourage people to join a Christian group on campus, maybe another university group to engage with people. One of the most productive times in my Christian life was being involved with a Christian group on campus at Sydney Teachers College, which is now part of the University of Sydney. Evangelising with a team, running camps, running midweek meetings, running multiple Bible studies, having prayer gatherings. And I say to people at university, so I'll say to the guys tonight, be engaged with what's happening on campus. Join a gym with others. I, I joined a gym last night by myself. It was hopeless. I didn't get to know anyone. So I gave it up. Uh, but if you join it, find someone to go with. There were, that, that way there are a few of you, maybe Christians and non-Christians, do it with others. Uh, some of you play touch football or something like touch football or indoor soccer, and, uh, and you mix with people in that way. Get involved in sporting communities, coach, referee, play. Some of you are in Rotary, Alliance, or Progress groups. Volunteer uh, with Meals on Wheels or Riverwood Community Centre. The opportunities are endless, and so God is calling us to think, where can I go? Who do I meet naturally? What other things can I do to engage with people outside of what I'm doing at the moment? And Sam Chan's written a helpful book called How to Talk About Jesus. We sold many of these books to you last year, about 40 or 50 books. So I have another 20. Uh, I brought them in just really for today in the next few weeks. 
and he talks about how to engage you with the non-Christian world today. And in one chapter, he talks about, look at the example of Jesus, people who don't know Jesus. Am I still on, Dave? Yep. Uh, thanks. Uh, he says, go to their things, their birthday parties, their school plays, their Tupperware parties, their trivia nights, their barbecues, go to those things. He says, uh, get onto their rosters. He said, uh, Sam Chan, he had kids a little bit older, and uh, he said, I right, turn up, you just don't turn up and sign up your kid to play rugby, as his son was signed up for. Because when you turn up, you then have to be on the barbecue roster. You have to keep score sometimes, so you have to be an umpiring roster. In other words, when you join these sporting things with your children, you join the rosters. And become part of their village. He made the interesting uh, assertion, he says, where churches used to be the village hub, schools are now the village hub, at least for those people who have young children up to the age of 12. I think high school, forget it, right? But if you have children between one day and 12, primary opportunities for gospel ministry. Because families engaging with those families and the kids and the schools and the networks, let me tell you, you will not have them once your kids go to high school. Listen to me. You will lose most of them. High schoolers don't want to know about their parents. But there's something about the, the primary school and the preschools and so on that make a big difference. And uh, Sam Chan was talking about at uh, the school, his wife volunteered to help out with the annual Christmas carols that the school did, the primary school. And she got involved in the committee, uh, and therefore, beforehand, they never had any Christmas or Christian Christmas carols in. They, all the modernized ones, the Aussie ones, and slowly as she worked with the team, they were able to get a mixture of songs and carols in that event. What are you saying? More and more, we need to be engaged in the community, go to where people are at. And you can't do everything. You've got to work out for yourself uh, where you need to go and what you can do. Secondly, go and be flexible. comes out of that 1 Corinthians 9 passage where Paul demonstrates that he's willing to change uh, some habits, some, some, uh, the way in which he normally does things to meet as many needs as possible. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Change your hairstyle. Change what you wear. Change what you ride. You know, if it's going to help you, share the gospel with people. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. And I'm hanging around the Jews, I'm making sure I eat the right food and don't break any of their laws. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. He gives up some of his rights as a Christian so he can minister to Jewish people. To those not having the law, the Gentiles, I became like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. In other words, he doesn't go out and commit sin, right? When he's talking about engaging with the Gentiles, he's not saying, well, I'll just go and get drunk, blind drunk every Saturday night. And I sleep with whoever I want because I want to identify with him. No, 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 no. He's still under Christ's law, right? To the weak I become weak, to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means... I might save some. I love that sentence. It's loaded. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Just take that home today, will you? Let's take that home. Whatever. I do this for the sake of the gospel 
but my also share in its blessings. You know, Paul would follow Jewish food laws as not to offend anyone. In fact, in Acts chapter 16, verse 3, he even had Timothy circumcised, ouch, for the sake of ministry among Jews. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So I thought they may not listen to him. So in this context, doesn't mean you have, it's a modern day context. In that context, he was willing to undergo circumcision for the sake of the gospel. I wonder what you've given up for the sake of the gospel. Let's not think too much about that. But Paul is willing to adapt himself in spiritually neutral areas. This is important. Someone says, how far can I go? Well, uh, you can engage with people, but not to sin with people, right? You're meant to be holy. You're meant to be pointing them to, to the greatness of Christ and his love and his mercy, his transforming power. I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. What did it look like for Hudson Taylor who led the, uh, the mission in China? He started the China Inland Mission, now called OMF. He started to wear his hair long and braided like the Chinese men of the time. And he put on clothes like they wore and he ate their food. Many of the fellow missionaries derided him and said, what are you doing? You just become like them. But you see... Hudson Taylor knew the difference between the gospel and the trappings of people's culture. He was willing to adapt into different cultural forms but maintain the gospel. And many years ago, a fellow called Archie Poulos, who uh, lectures at Moore College, started up a Greek ministry at the University of New South Wales. And his campus Bible study uh, led to many Greeks coming to know Christ. So they set up a church. I used to go along to it on a Friday night in the chaplaincy building the University of New South Wales, realized that there was a group of people who come out of orthodoxy and so on who had trappings of religion but didn't know Jesus. So they set up a church and that church has continued to grow and multiply over the years. In our Chinese ministry here many years ago, some of our Chinese believers were reaching out to the Chinese community. And in this region at the moment, uh, you'll know you know, at least a third of our people are from a Chinese background, even along this railway line, and that is increasing. The next census will tell us what it's like, and when you fill out the National Church Life Survey, we'll have a comparison between the census and our church. Right? That will give us a good idea of how well we're doing reaching into that community. But we set up a Mandarin congregation. We stepped out in faith. We thought, well, okay, it's 2014. We're about to do a building program, uh, about to build that extension, 1.5 million or whatever it was. At the same time, we employed a two-day-a-week Chinese pastor because we believed that was something we needed to do to reach more Chinese people. Some of my friends started off Christian surfers many years ago. Brett Davis and a few other people decided to set up a movement. They wanted to reach into the surfing community. They surfed themselves. That was easier. But sometimes non-surfers learn to surf to reach out. I remember John Smith, the late John Smith, uh, he, was, uh, he called himself a, a white, right-wing evangelical, almost racist, he said. And somehow God convicted him to change his heart and his attitude, and God gave him a heart to reach the bikey community. And this guy who had never ridden a bike before learned to ride a motorbike. Started off small, got larger, had a tremendous impact over many decades into the motor, motor uh, bike, bikey gang sort of ministry. 
I don't know, maybe God calls you to do something completely different to what you've ever done in your life. Because it gives you a heart for a people group. Playtime ministry into families, children, teenage ministry and so on. You know, we've run bands in local pubs, breakfast and bowling clubs, women's events at function centres. We'll do whatever we need to do to enable people to come and hear the gospel. Thirdly, go and do good works. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We may speak the gospel, but we must demonstrate the gospel as well, don't we? The way in which we love and care for people. Live such good lives among the pagans that they... That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He says, even those who attack you because of your faith, somehow will see your good deeds. You'll be there for them when they're having a difficult time, even though they've mocked you. You'll be the one who drops in the meal. You'll be the one who visits them in the hospital. You'll be the one who prays for them. You'll be the one who mows their lawn. And although they have mocked you, they will see your good deeds. They'll be touched by God and transformed that on the final day they will glorify God. Powerful impact of our works. And I was reading an a, a illustration in John Dixon's book, uh, The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission, or formerly it was called Promoting the Gospel. It tells a story, and this is an encouragement for, uh, uh, for those involved in our playtime ministry. It said there was a... Tell, let me tell you about Kim and Chris... Uh, Kim and Christian. Kim is the woman, Christian is the man. They were not believers, never attended church, but were involved in a playtime ministry. And um, the playtime shared the gospel in low-key ways, but this Christmas or the Christian atmosphere became palpable, he says, when little Sophie fell ill. Uh, Kim's daughter Sophie became unwell. It said that the playtime set up a food roster, people from the playgroup and church dropped off regular meals to Kim and Christian, others phoned to see how they were going, to offer assistance, uh, and Kim remembers someone turning up with a bunch of flowers and said, hey, our Bible study group is praying for you, and so on. And right through that experience, it ultimately, it just opened up opportunities to love this person, and Kim started to think, because she saw the good deeds of the people of God, she started to think, is there more to this? And an evangelistic, a women's event came up very soon after that, and uh, the playtime leader invited Kim along to this gospel event where she gave her life to Christ. But her husband wasn't a Christian. Either. He was a French guy, an atheist. But through that influence and through that transformation, he also came to Christ. And John says, Kim and Christian know now both very much Christians, give thanks to the Lord for all he has taught them and for the fact that Sophie has been in remission now for well over seven years, which is usually the all clear sign. He said, for me, what God has done in their lives is living proof of the way good deeds and gospel proclamation often combine to draw people to Christ, whether or not those doing the deeds are also the ones doing the proclamation. They are reminded of the responsibility to make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Go and do good works, he says. And go and promote the gospel in daily conversation. And uh, we do the good works and we look for opportunities to talk to others about Jesus, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Be ready. You need to know some answers, right? And in your home groups, you'll talk about what is the gospel, how to answer some questions, and you need to be ready. What are some basic questions people are going to ask you? 
How do you know God exists? Is there any evidence that Christ rose from the dead? What about all the evil in the world? What about Putin going in and destroying and killing people in Ukraine? You've got to think through, how do I answer those questions? How do I uh, bring hope to people? And then be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace. Season with salt that you may know how to answer everyone. People think that we are Bible bashers. When you surprise them by being grace-filled in how we, we listen and how we speak to people. You know, I ran into a friend, I visited him in hospital once, and he said, oh, you won't believe what happened. I said, what happened? He said, next to him was another man who wasn't a Christian. He said, I listened into the conversation. A Christian man came to him and he was evangelizing him, talking about Christ and God. And he went on for a long time and the guy never got a word in and he finally left. He said, the other man, he said, was irate and angry that he'd been Bible bashed by the other man. So what one Christian thought was being positive was really being received in a negative way. And I have to remember, because I like to talk about Jesus, that I need to listen first before I talk. I need to have permission to speak into someone's life. And sometimes, if you've been in this situation like me, someone asks you a question, you start to give them the gospel, and within 30 seconds they've turned off, glazed look, and you keep talking because this is your opportunity. (laughs) You've been praying for three years for this. And when they have the glazed look and they've turned off, just stop talking and just move on to something else and pray that God will give you another chance when they're ready. Tim Chester writes in the book Enjoying God, and our pastors are reading this book at the moment, a great book. We'll we'll bring supplies in later on that one. Uh, And we're doing it as a pastoral team and we reflect, reflect on it. There was a chapter this week about enjoying God and it's a section on witnessing. If you enjoy God, you're more likely to witness for Christ. And he says, get this picture, I'm a dad, and one of my dad duties is to insist everyone carefully rolls up the toothpaste tube to extract the last possible spot of toothpaste. How many homes are like this? You know, just roll it, don't waste it, right? And he says, at the end, I screw myself up and reluctantly squeeze out a little bit of toothpaste. He said, sometimes my evangelism is like that. I work so hard, and I... I Pour out a little bit of gospel at the end. Yet he says, everyone is an evangelist for the things they love. A sporting team, a TV show, a new boyfriend or girlfriend. You tell everyone. He said, the more we experience our relationship with God and find joy in Him, the more our evangelism will be enthusiastic and infectious. It will stop being an awkward exercise imposed on conversation as an act of duty. Instead, as an overflow of full hearts, we will speak enthusiastically of the one we love. Instead of being like nearly empty toothpaste tubes, we'll become champagne bottles waiting to explode, fizzing and bubbling over with life and joy. What do you like? Is there this exuberance and this joy that becomes attractive and infectious? A little bit of squeeze that gospel out, that last bit of toothpaste. Maybe somewhere in between. I saw a new doctor last Tuesday. I needed a referral for something. And uh, as we talked, I always try to throw in that I'm a minister somewhere in there, that see where it goes. And um, she said, are you well? She said, generally well, just I need a referral. I just said, 
my annual skin check and uh, that type of thing. And as I always check other things, I said, oh, I'm a bit, bit stressed, I said. I'm a minister in the church, so we've had two years of COVID. So where that will go? She was engaged with that. We talked a little bit and said, oh, people still worshipping? Are you still online? I said, no, we do both now. And it's great to see people coming on site and others still online uh, worshipping with us. And I said, a new couple joined us last Sunday at 11 o'clock. have been watching us online for six months. That's another couple. They're finally connecting with us, having watched us online. And as I left, and we talked about, about the Lord, and I said, thank you for seeing me. She said, oh, thanks for coming. And then she went, and God bless you, <laughs> as I walked out. I thought, man, I should have blessed her. <laughs> you never know where this conversation will go. If I see her again another time, who knows? But there's something about two or three of you infectious with Jesus in a soccer field, in a craft group, at the local bowling, wherever you go, in your family, two or three or four of you infectious, and you're bubbling over with joy and love and hope. Go and invite people to come with you to a place where they will hear the gospel explained. You know the story of the Samaritan woman in John 4. Jesus engages with her. She's had five husbands. The one she's living with is not her husband. And she is just drawn in by Jesus and his conversation, his love and his acceptance. She's so moved. She said, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. One woman invites the town to come to Jesus. Now, some of you I know from over the years, you have the power of invitation. You have the courage, and you have friends, and when we run a, a women's event or a men's event, you just bring four or five people. You just can't help yourself because God's given you one of those gifts, the power of invitation. Friends, it's powerful, and we need to invite people to Christianity Explain courses, to church, to outreach events, to maybe to meet with you to read the Bible as you get close to someone and say, hey, would you like to do Christian explain with me? Just one-on-one, -on -one, we'll sit down and read the Bible and we explain what the gospel is. Or would you like to answer some questions? We need to have courage to invite people that are open to spiritual things to, to read the Bible with us. Even take the risk, even though they say no. You never know where it might lead. And sixthly, go in love to those that God brings to our services, events and ministries. Because you need to be aware that in our Sunday services and our weekly activities, God is bringing people who don't yet know Jesus into our events, and we need to love them. And John Dixon again writes uh, in his book, because he was a traveling evangelist, a traveling singer, and an evangelist, an apologist, and he said, you know, when he was a pastor of the church, he said, we see more people coming to Christ through our normal ministries of the church, through our Sunday service, than through special evangelism courses and evangelistic events. It's the natural way in which God works is often in our normal services. Don't assume everyone today is a Christian. Don't assume everyone is now powering on for God. Engage, go to people, love them in Jesus' name. Together promoting the gospel. Spend time with the lost, be flexible, do good works, promote the gospel in daily conversation, invite people to apply, come with you to a place where they will hear the gospel explained. Go and love to those God that bring, God brings to our services, our events, and our ministries. Friends, as we start coming out of COVID and going into uh, the rest of this year, our hope is uh, normally in a normal year we would run a, a, an evangelistic course in term two around May. The last couple of years with COVID and people in isolation, we haven't been able to, uh, in one sense, pull those off. God hasn't brought the numbers of people to do that. We're praying towards that. But I'm also praying uh, 
Do we use Christian Explain? Do we use Alpha? Do we have Alpha film series? What do we use? What's the best way to draw people into something else besides other evangelistic events and so on? And so if you're interested in being part of an evangelism team who might put on some of these events or think strategically about what might best work with our people and our community, I'd love to hear from you as well as we work towards that. We'll try to hit the gospel strongly at Easter and then publicize the upcoming course or events going into the next term after that. But I look forward to hearing from you about that. Let me pray. Lord God, uh, thank you that you come with us as we take the gospel to lost people. Lord, we thank you for the people that you sent to us who told us about your love and your forgiveness where we found new life. Lord, it is our prayer that we would together promote the gospel in our ministries here on site, in our workplaces, in our families, in special events off-site. Whatever it is, Lord, please lead us and guide us in this new season on how to best reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. We commit ourselves to you and surrender to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.